0: and now here are your hosts Rochelle Vanderzanden and Corey Janoff. Welcome back to Financial Clarity for Doctors, everyone. Rochelle Vanderzanden here with Corey Janoff. Yo yo, <laughs> it's uh, great to have you back today. We're going to talk about some stock market fun. We're actually recording this the same week that all the the GameStop craziness and all that stuff was going on. So it's kind of a, a funny time to be talking about this. But we are going to spend a little bit of time today talking about timing the market and trying to like figure out when to buy and things like that versus just having time in the market which is two different things even though it sounds exactly the same we do have a, a lot of clients that come to us really concerned about investing in a market like we have right now where we're trading at all-time highs and no one knows when we're gonna get, a, get hit a peak and maybe come back down a little bit and and no one wants to put all of their money in the market or make a big investment right before we have a big decline and like see their money come down a little bit. It's really hard to try to time things like that. So we can try to take an educated guess, but in the end, a lot of times our educated guesses end up being wrong anyway. So there's a lot of times not... A whole lot of a point to to try to time the market. Instead, we want to focus on the things that we can control. We can't control market cycles, but we can control things like how much we're saving, when we're saving, how much we're spending, all of that kind of stuff. Like Those are the things that we have control over, and so those are the things that we want to spend a a little bit of time talking about today. And we also want to just give you some examples of things that illustrate this point because it is kind of counterintuitive like you think it really matters when you're putting your money in the market but it doesn't matter as much as you think. So Corey, you want to launch us a little bit and talk a little bit about a few examples?
1: Sure. Yeah, I think the uh you hit on it at, to start off the how long you are invested is probably a much greater predictor of investment growth and wealth accumulation than the exact timing of when you put money in or or pulled it out or what specific holdings you you purchased. Like you said at the beginning, kind of ironic the timing of when we're recording this because we usually plan these podcasts several weeks out and then record them uh, about a month before they get released. So who knows what the world's going to look like a month from now, but the week we're recording this is, yeah, when the the GameStop and AMC and several other companies were – uh, their stocks were a battle between wall street shorters and the subredditors trying to pump them up and, it, uh, a lot of humor on Twitter. But, um, but it, you know, for those of you looking at day trading and, uh, trying to time the market and get in or out and make a quick buck, you know, it's basically gambling. You know, you might as well go to the casino and, and do the same thing cause it's more or less what you're doing. You know, if we look from this week, if you put ten thousand into GameStock or AMC on Monday, you might have sold it for about thirty thousand on Wednesday. Not a bad turnaround in, in two days. Granted, you have to pay short-term capital gains taxes, which is ordinary income rates on that money. So make sure you set some aside for the following April. But uh, you also could have bought on Wednesday, you know, for ten thousand, and then Thursday sold for five thousand. So you just never know, like. What's going to happen in the future? So it definitely is risky. And, uh, you know, what do they say about gambling? The house always wins. So even the most successful bettors out there only win. And we're not talking like roulette, but like poker players and sports bettors, where there's actually, you know, some people have a a chance to argue there's a skill component to it. But even the the most successful ones win just over 50% of their. Uh, the bets that they place. So it's not quite the same as, as investing it's for entertainment purposes only (laughs) as all the disclosures out there. will tell you Um, whereas investing and I'm sure some people would, would love to argue with me on this one, but I'll uh, I'll stand my ground and yeah, I would consider investing owning assets or companies uh, that produce revenues and uh, participating in the ever rising profits and dividends that they, Produce over the long haul. Now, no guarantees that those profits or dividends will rise, but if you look at history, you know things have tended to, to increase over time. Again, no guarantees moving forward, but if you're in it for the long haul, you know, there's a good chance that 30 years from now the stock market will be higher than it is today. If it's not, we're all in this boat together. We got probably bigger things to worry about, but uh, but yeah. You know, look look for for revenue-producing assets, whether that be stocks or or businesses that you own, whatever, and uh, and just participate in their income streams and revenues over time and reinvest your dividends. And you can't really control what the end result will be, but you just have to have faith in the process.
0: That time component is so huge. I do like you put a couple of examples together here, and I love the Warren Buffett example because everyone thinks of them as this investor that was so successful from a really early age and he just has magic or something like that. You know, like that's how people think of Warren Buffett. But he actually accumulated a lot of his wealth later in life because of that time component like he needed to be invested for a certain amount of time before he really saw that compounding growth happened so some statistics on on Warren Buffett specifically like 99% of his wealth was accumulated after age 50 even though he started buying stocks at age 11 like that's a lot of years to be invested and then about 90% of of his wealth was accumulated after his 65th birthday. He's been investing a, a very long time, but most of that that wealth growth was very late in life and I think the the lesson there is just you, the earlier you can start the better and the more that you can get into the market early on and and the the longer you can go without touching it, the better it's going to be. Like if we don't tap into it, it's going to keep growing for us, or ideally, you know, we hope, again, can't predict future performance, but if things keep going the way that they have in the past, then we could expect the same sort of thing. Not Warren Buffett returns necessarily. you you got to put a lot away to be <laughs> Warren Buffett, but I think um, he was worth like $250 million at age 52 in 1982, which is crazy. He was still one of the, the richest people in the world at that point in time, but he's worth so much more now, now it's like 7.9 billion is how much he was worth before he turned 65 in 1984, which is still a long time ago, but that's billions, not millions at that point. And
1: 94, I think. Yeah,
0: 94. It's all good. Yeah. I thought that was what I said, but I didn't. And then Bill Gates became the richest person in the world right around the same time, but today Warren Buffett is worth like 88 billion dollars. And Bill Gates is worth like $122 billion. And then we have, you know, Jeff Bezos, the wild card. And he's in there with $190 billion, which is a different kind of way of of earning money and, and seeing your wealth accumulate. But that's kind of the, the wild card there where, you know, if you're on the cutting edge of a, a new industry that's just taking over the world, if you could do that somehow, magically, you might make a lot of money too. But. <laughs>
1: there you go. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. You know, two hundred fifty million from the early eighties to call it in in the mid nineties, he was about ten billion. Mm -hmm. So pretty, pretty impressive. That's huge. But then from the mid nineties to today, twenty five years, twenty six years or so, he's gone from ten billion to almost ninety billion. And he was what sixty five years old in. he turned sixty-five in in the summer of nineteen ninety-four. So right after the the Forbes comes out with their annual lists every summer. So yeah, it's uh, time, mm-hmm. like just letting it letting your investments continue to compound and grow. Um, and it's pretty staggering looking back. You know, we look at these billionaires today. You know, the richest ones are in the hundred billion range, but back in the eighties, like. There were maybe a few billionaires, but $250 million was considered one of the richest people in the world at that time. In the 90s, single-digit billions were the richest people. Like Bill Gates was, I think, the first one to cross over the $10 billion mark when Microsoft started taking off in, uh, in the mid-90s. And um, it just goes to show you that, that time time is a magical... That's probably where all the magic is. I mean, yeah, Warren Buffett's a very skilled investor and Mm -hmm. and better than most anyone else could ever uh, dream of being. But still, his his greatest attribute is just time. He's been investing for eight decades. He's 90 years old now, and he started at age 11. So good for him. And he says his biggest regret in life is not investing sooner. Like Like I should (laughs) have started when I was eight. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) think how much you'd like be worth now if that was the case. I love <laughs> it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes when we talk about these numbers, they're just so big that they're really hard to understand. So, uh, that's one thing, like, I think it's really hard to communicate. Like, these these are huge numbers. You could work for thousands of years and not have the amount of money that these folks have. Even, even as a doctor. But.
1: <laughs> but we don't need that much, no? which uh-huh. is... Well, we'll wrap up with that. But, you know, how much is enough? And uh, I know Buffett plans to give the majority of his wealth to charity along with a lot of the other you know, billionaires and richest people in the world. They've all signed that giving pledge to, to give away the majority of their wealth, either in their lifetime or when they pass. But another uh, example that, that I found very interesting, um, not sure if any of you are familiar with Ben Carlson. He's a, a, a CFA and author on the Wealth of Common Sense blog, but there's some good stuff on there. And this one that he wrote was from a handful of years ago, back in February of 2014. He actually did a scenario to look at someone who only invested at market peaks. So like the traditional stereotype is, is investors wait till things look good and then they get in and then things turn south and, and people sell out. So they, they buy high and sell low, which is the opposite of what you want to do. You know, you want to, you know, wh- wh- I don't know who said it, uh, but uh, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. Mm-hmm. So when stocks are at a low point, that's that if we're, if we're going to do any timing, that's you know the ideal time to buy. We just don't know. What's low and what might be lower, or when things are going to go up and up and then turn. But, anyways, in his blog, it was called the worst market timer, and he 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 did looked back at historical market prices, and he said, okay, let's take someone starting in the early seventies. You know, pretend they're starting their career out then, and in nineteen seventy-two, they put six thousand dollars into an S and P five hundred index fund, uh, in. Let the market, and then the market crashes right after that. Like 73, 74, the market was down, I think about 50% or something. Same thing, 1987, August of 87, market's at a peak. He puts 46,000 in and then takes a nosedive. December of 1999, next peak of the the dot-com bubble, put $68,000 in and then... Slide for three years straight, and then in October of two thousand and seven, at the peak before the the big 08 crash, um, puts uh, another sixty four thousand in right before the market decides to go for a, a go very far south. So in total, through those handful of of big bear or big bull market peaks, he invested one hundred and eighty four thousand dollars. And here is the key: he never sold; he just let it ride you know, let the dividends reinvest. And, you know, for the simplicity of this example, we're assuming no fees, no taxes, you know, which in reality, those would be applicable. Also, you can't invest directly in an index. You'd have to invest in an index mutual fund or ETF, which have costs and expenses, but yada, yada, yada. For the example purposes, um, you know, let's not miss the forest for the trees here. So, Invest one hundred eighty-four thousand in total, only at market peaks in two thousand and fourteen. That would be worth one point one million if you just put it all in the S and P five hundred. So even if you were the world's worst market timer, investing one hundred eighty-four thousand still would have grown to one point one million. And I did the math for what it would be worth today. So end of January twenty twenty-one, it would actually be worth two point six million. So. Yeah. It it, it just goes back to show you time, you know, just stock markets, a volatile, crazy, dangerous place. But if you give it time, time heals all wounds, no guarantees, of course, but you know, there's a good chance that the losses will recover. Uh, market dips will, will rebound. And, uh, And you got to give your money a chance to grow. Otherwise, you won't participate in the growth. So just leave it alone once you make your decisions. Yeah, like the
0: timing of your purchases is not nearly as important as not selling when you get scared. (laughs) Like that's that's such a big key there. Like obviously if he had sold at any point, if he was buying it at Market Peaks, that would have made this picture a lot different. Yeah. And we can kind of bring it back to like – like for you, for our listeners, what does this look like? What does it mean to just be investing strategically and controlling the things you can? So if we just take a hypothetical example of an attending physician with kind of a median income, let's assume like $250,000 a year, we've talked a lot about working towards saving 20% of your income for retirement just to kind of make up for that lost time. Like we're, we're just not really able to, to save a lot on the early end when you're in med school and when you're in residency and you don't have a ton of excess income. So when you do get to that point where you're making a little bit more money, we gotta prioritize saving a good chunk and saving fairly early. So let's just assume that from age 32, when you finish training until age 62, when you retire, you save about 20% of your income. And let's say that's $4,000 a month. And then we'll just assume about a 6% average rate of return, net of all costs and taxes. So there's a little bit of costs, there's a little bit of taxes. 6% is fairly conservative. Again, we don't know exactly what returns are going to look like, but we have to pick a number for an example, and that's a that's a good conservative number. So if you were...
1: I think to highlight yeah. right there really quick is just, it's not going to be linear. Mm-hmm. Like you will yeah. never get a linear return trajectory on your investments. Like one year it'll be up 21%, next year it'll be down 15%. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's an average of six, but you know it's kind of all over the map. So expect a roller coaster ride over time. Rarely will you ever have a year where your portfolio actually grows by its quote unquote average.
0: Exactly, yeah. it's either gonna be Let's,
1: a lot higher or a lot lower. <laughs> and
0: a lot of times during the year, you're gonna see a big decline, but you might still end up the year with an increase so it, it's really interesting how all that happens but if we're just investing we're just putting that four thousand dollars away per month we're not taking anything out you um at age 42 assuming that kind of savings rate you would say you would have about six hundred and fifty-five thousand invested at age 52 you'd have about 1.85 million and at age 62 when you get to retire you'd have a little over four million if you're saving four thousand dollars per month and then let's just say you don't need your money in retirement, and you just let it ride just for fun. <laughs> let's say you retire at age 62, so you're not investing anymore, but for some reason you don't need to take it out. You're living on your, your tiny, tiny, tiny Social Security, or you're sleeping on your kid's couch. <laughs> you just want to let it let it ride. At age 72, we would expect that, that initial investment, so you haven't put any extra money in since age 62, but we would be expect it to be worth about $7.3 million using that 6% rate of return. At age 82, $13.3 million. At age 90, which is Warren Buffett's current age, then maybe you'd have about $21.5 million if we didn't have to take it out for retirement. And obviously... That's not what we're intending to do with our retirement money. We're not intending to let it ride, but it's kind of interesting to see what it might do if we did. But as you start to take out that money, obviously, you see it it start to dwindle and things like that. But you just if you're saving twenty percent of your income and you retire with like that level of income and that level of savings, you should be in a pretty good position. Obviously, it's all dependent on personal circumstances, but we would expect your expenses to be lower than they were while you were working. Probably, <laughs> and things like that. Hopefully. Hopefully you're not having a, a giant mortgage payment anymore.
1: Kids are out of the house, and yeah, expenses or are, are student loans will hopefully be paid off. So a lot of it, it should cost you less to live in retirement than today. Mm-hmm. And I mean that, you know, the stop... Uh, working or, 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 yeah, we stop investing, but maybe we don't stop necessarily working. Like you could work part-time from your early 60s to mid-70s, 80s even. Maybe you're doing something fun. You're doing some consulting or research or you're teaching med students one or two days a week and just earning enough income to cover your living expenses. Like I know it might be a little extreme, but that scenario isn't – out of the realm of possibilities. So investing diligently and and uh, persistently for thirty years, and then get a part time gig to cover your living expenses and keep your mind sharp. And when let the rest ride, you could turn four million into twenty million before you 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 leave this earth. Mm-hmm.
0: And there are a lot of people that want to leave some sort of legacy, whether it's for their family or for a cause that they care about. And there are definitely ways to do that if you're living like well within your means or under your means. And yeah, I think we're going to come back to this a little bit, but really like having more isn't necessarily the thing that's going to make you happier.
1: No. And one example that I really like, but I don't know if it's true. I tried fact checking (laughs) it and I couldn't find like any like legitimate sources that would confirm it or or find it directly from the source. But but I've heard and I've seen numerous times uh, people cite a, a study that Fidelity did. And again, not sure if it's true or not, but I wouldn't <laughs> be surprised. Um, apparently, they did an internal audit, which would make sense that they wouldn't publish it if it's an internal audit of accounts. Um, but they did an internal audit over a period of a decade in the uh, early to, to mid-2000s. I think it was like 03 to 2013 or something. Anyways, they found the best performing accounts held at Fidelity were accounts that people forgot they had owned or were owned by dead people.
0: I kind of so, love that so much.
1: <laughs> again, not sure it's true, but I found a number of blogs that like went back and tested the theory. Basically, like if you just put money in and didn't touch it, not at all. You don't even like rebalance. You just leave it alone. Then you, you would end up performing better than most of your peers, who are perusing the subreddits and, and <laughs> following the Wall Street Bets accounts and hashtags and trying to you know make adjustments here and there to capitalize on opportunities and avoid pitfalls and move money in and out. You know, again, there, there's definitely. A, a strong argument and studies that show rebalancing adds value making minor strategic adjustments uh, to your portfolio can add value over time but the biggest thing is you got to stay invested if you're making those strategic adjustments that's not pulling money out and waiting a month to get back in it's you know, shifting maybe from large cap to small cap a few percentage points here and there because you're overweight in the large <laughs> cap sector for for whatever reason. So the, the key is just leaving the money invested, letting it do its thing and compound over time. And uh, if history is any indicator, no guarantees moving forward, full disclosure, compliance people who <laughs> review this before it gets published, no guarantees, but, you know, it's... Uh, at least throughout history that's been the case um if you just leave it alone it'll it'll end up higher than you started over a long period of time
0: definitely i do love that it makes me it makes me happy. But it's partially just because, you know, people weren't selling. Like, you can't sell if you forgot about your account. You can't sell if you're not alive. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I feel like that's, like, the bottom line of the story. Don't try to sell. Don't try to change things too much. But, yeah, it's, yeah, good times. <laughs> I do think that a lot of this also comes back to, like, trying to control the things you can control. And the things you can control are how much you're spending. And, you know, like obviously we have some things that we have to spend money on. We have to make our student loan payments, you know, but we can control how big of a house we buy. We can control like what car we drive. We can control whether we spend $3,000 a month on groceries or one, (laughs) you know, like we can control things like that. And if we can control our consumption and therefore like save a little bit more for retirement and put our future selves in a good position, like I think that overall is is going to lead to hopefully more satisfaction because like there have been numerous studies that have shown above a certain compensation amount, above a certain income level, you're not necessarily happier at that point. So if we're not necessarily happier because we make two hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth is to worth versus two hundred thousand dollars maybe we live like we're making two hundred thousand dollars and and the rest can go towards other goals that we have like the retirement or college savings anything like that so there if it's not making you happier really then maybe we can choose to direct some of those resources elsewhere
1: yeah that you know Gets into the financial independence piece, which can mean different things for different people. But if your expectations of what your lifestyle should be rise faster than your income or your net worth, it's going to be hard to achieve financial independence. So you got to ask yourself, at what point do I have enough? You know, at what point do we have the things that make me happy and the rest is just smoke and mirrors? Um, you know, we were talking before we were recording, like, you know, a lot of people say the best time of their life was when they were in college and it's kind of true. You know, college was great for a lot of people. Some of you, maybe not, you know, know, some people, some of you were probably just on a mission to get to med school and you were miserable studying all the time. (laughs) But for a lot of people, you you had a lot of fun in college and you were, you know, you didn't have really any income. You were sharing a room, uh, eating top ramen, drinking awful beer, like But you were having the time of your life. So like money isn't everything. Yeah, it's a good down payment on happiness. But at some point, you know, you got to ask yourself, do I have enough? Do I have all the essentials? And am I living comfortably and and what really makes me happy? And for most people, it's being able to to control their time and live on their own terms. So if you can do the things you want to do with the people you care about, when you want to do them, you know, that, that's about as good as it gets. And you don't need to be a billionaire to get to that point.
0: Mm-mm. And I think for a lot of folks, being able to, to work less earlier on is something that they'd like to achieve. And, and it's just another way to do it. You know, if you're spending less now, if you have a a standard of living that's fairly sustainable long term, that allows you to save more, but also maintain that after you retire without doing anything to like reduce your consumption i think that's that's really helpful and and then you can have more flexibility to spend the time and your time the way that you want to we always get so philosophical cory <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i mean the math part's the the easy part of all this mm-hmm. it's the the psychology and philosophy of it all that's the challenge that, that people grapple with and keep them awake at night. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, moral of the story, just stay invested. Don't try and time the market. <laughs> if you want to time the market, sure, open up a play account and have some fun with it, but <laughs> basically treat it as your gambling money. It's for entertainment purposes only. And yeah, I guess if you you hit it big, but even like... Like I don't know anyone who's who's been a day trader that like turned into you know a, a massive success and could afford to retire and quit their day job like if if you're day trading yeah you might make a couple thousand bucks here a couple thousand bucks there maybe you get crazy and put fifty thousand on a stock and it turns into a hundred thousand but most people are just putting the couple thousand here and there and and the big stock success stories, like, you do have to be invested over a long period of time. Like, yeah, if you put money into Apple back in the late 90s or early 2000s, 20 years ago, maybe you could retire today. But it still took 20 years to get there. <laughs> it didn't happen overnight, and they had some big declines along the way. So it's it, there, there's very few... Uh, get rich quick schemes, and, and very few, you know, companies, investments, whatever that that will really pop over a short span. Like it, it takes a while to to really ramp up and 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 matriculate. So
0: moral of the story: focus on what you can control. Try to be happy with what you have. Prioritize the things that really make you happy. <laughs> yes, and the rest is gravy. Well.
1: Well, thank you all for listening. Thanks for the feedback. For those of you that email us and uh, and ask for request certain topics to be addressed, we got a few of those coming down the pipeline here. Um, and, and appreciate all the reviews and, and ratings uh, that you've given us on the podcast apps really helps uh, other people find us. So have a good one.
0: Thanks, everyone. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Finity Group LLC.
1: You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP, Instagram at Corey Janoff, or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff.
0: You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance or on Instagram, Vanderzanden Rochelle, or on LinkedIn under my name, Rochelle Vanderzanden.
1: Check out all of the podcast episodes on thefinitygroup.com slash podcast on our Finity Group YouTube channel or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out our Financial Clarity blog at thefinitygroup.com slash blog.